God. You know, true, grace is defined as, uh, and, and we are told that grace is free. We don't work for it. We don't earn it. But the good news is after we have received free freely God's grace unto salvation. Now that we are born again in the kingdom of God, we are instructed to continue to renew our lives, to continue to renew our minds, and to be transformed, no longer conformed to the world system, the world's way of doing things, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and by uh, developing the gifts of the Spirit that God has deposited within us. The fruit of the Spirit is to be developed within us, which is known as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, brotherly love and, and kindness and, and all the above. And so these are areas that we need to be growing in and, and, and overcoming the, the idea or the belief is, well, I'm just stuck this is who I am. This is my DNA. I didn't ask for it. This is how I was born. I was born of my parents, and this is my personality, and I really can't do anything about it. That, that is a lie, and you need to reject that and recognize that you have the ability to be transformed. You have the ability to overcome the, the, the bad habits, or the, or the Apostle Paul refers to them as the works of the flesh, and to develop the fruit of the Spirit. One of the people we talked about last week, we looked at Peter, Paul, and Mary, and we discovered that, uh, excuse me, Peter, Paul, and Martha, not Mary, it was Martha. <laughs> get, get Mary and Martha mixed up. <laughs> it's a different band, but it's, still, it's a good band. <laughs> and the only reason I know about Peter, Paul, and Mary is because someone told me about it, because back when they were popular, I still did not have access to radio or television. <laughs> So, not that my parents knew of anyway, but I learned a lot of music with a transistor radio underneath my pillow. <laughs> Going to sleep, praying that I wouldn't die tonight because I was listening to this radio, and if I die during the night, I most certainly am not going to end up in heaven. We can laugh at it now, but I'm just serious. I was, I was for real. That was a concern of mine. I'm, I mean, you know, so, I'm struggling between do I continue to listen to this or do I... You know, so I pushed the margin quite a bit, I thought, until I met some of you. <laughs> then I realized I probably almost made it into heaven without Jesus, but... <laughs> anyway, back to amazing grace. We need to grow, and I think one of the areas we need to grow in is not to be boastful, right? We found out that Martha, Martha was known for her much serving... And in her serving, she got very frustrated that her sister Mary was not participating in serving, and she had the audacity to even complain to Jesus and said, can't you do something about my sister? I'm doing all the serving, and she's just sitting at your feet listening to your, to your instructions. And Jesus said, Martha, 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 you are so worried about so many things. Mary has chosen the good part. She has chosen the word. And then later, then we find that story in the Gospel of Luke. Then when you read the Gospel of John, you find Mary and Martha again in the story of, of Lazarus being raised from the dead and how they were 
confused by Lazarus being sick and, and they called upon Jesus and Jesus didn't come for until four days later. Uh, he didn't come to, to heal the brother and the brother ended up dying and then four, years at, four days after he's dead and in the tomb, he finally arrives and Martha and Mary both have a confrontation with Jesus and they're having a dialogue, but you know, if he would have been here, he would not have died and Jesus is assuring them, just, you know, have, I, I've told you, I am the resurrection and the life and he who believes in me will never die but will live and Martha and then Mary later also said yes we believe that and long story short Jesus raised Martha and Mary's brother from the dead resurrected him that's found in the Gospel of John chapter 11. But an interesting little story that many times you just kind of read over it, you don't think much of it but you get into chapter 12 Martha and Mary again have a large gathering at their home and this is to have Lazarus is, is, is the special guest, and many people are coming because they want to hear this about the resurrection from Lazarus' viewpoint. You know, we want to hear from Lazarus. What was this like to have been dead and, be in the, and have been in the tomb, and then four days later, you're in that tomb, you're just getting acclimated to your new environment, and you're thinking, this is pretty chill. And then all of a sudden, you hear this booming voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when I get to heaven, I want to ask Lazarus, what was that like making that decision? Do I want to come out or do I not want to come out? You know, <laughs> he had a choice. But what was that like to make that choice? But he made the choice. He came out. So they're celebrating, having a dinner. Martha, again, is serving. But if you read that story, don't read over it too quickly. Just pause and think about it for a moment. Martha is serving a large number of people. Mary's not helping her. Same as before. Mary is now at the feet of Jesus, not to hear the word, but she's now at the feet of Jesus, breaking that perfume bottle and anointing his feet, rubbing her feet with her hair. You know that she's worshiping Jesus. Martha is still serving. I'm going to say still serving. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a negative. I heard that presented already in the past that Martha's still serving, nothing's changed, she's still the same old Martha, but she's not the same old Martha. Yes, she's serving again many people. Mary's not helping her, Mary's with Jesus, Martha's serving, but now Martha's serving, but she's not complaining. That's the grace of God. That's the transformation we're talking about. When, you, when we're talking about transformation, I'm not saying that God's going to take your primary gifting and alter it or, or transform it into something else. He's not going to do that. You, you have your giftings. God has graced each one of us, but the idea is that can I begin to flow in my gift without murmuring, without uh, being jealous of someone else's gift, without wishing I had someone else's position, but am I happy to swim in my lane and to do it cheerfully unto the Lord? No more murmuring, no more complaining, but now I'm worshiping. Yes, Mary was at the feet of Jesus, breaking the perfume and, and, and anointing him, and worshiping him, but Martha likewise was worshiping him in her serving as unto the Lord. So we're talking about transforming grace. I'm talking about allow the grace of God to bring you into a place that your gifts, your skill sets are used to glorify and to bring honor to God. And we're doing what we're doing without murmuring and complaining. We're honoring God and, and, and we're loving on him and, and just being thrilled at, at, at what he has anointed us to do, what he's called us to do, and we're happily, we are happy to stay in that particular gifting. Open up, I'm going to share with you a verse this morning, uh, several verses from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. 
If you don't have your device or your Bible, I encourage you, I think the verses will be up on the screen. Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning at verse 4. The first couple of verses there in, in, in the second chapter are talking about the condition we were in before we received the saving grace of God. It's not a pretty picture. I would encourage you to read it sometime. And just read. It's good to be mindful of who we were and what God has uh, transformed us into being. But in verse 4, it's basically, it begins with the word but, basically saying you were, you know, things weren't so pretty in your life. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Now notice verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Notice you have been born again by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. He has raised us up together. He made us sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's God's desire to put his grace on display in and through the body of Christ. He desires for his grace to be manifested, and not just grace for, uh, for many years I had the idea that grace was this, uh, was, was this commodity of God that, that uh, was always there to get me out of trouble. I got myself in a bind, but thank God for his grace, I got through it, or something I could barely do, but oh, but by the grace of God, I got it done. But the grace is far superior than that. Yes, grace will help you. Grace will get you out of trouble. Grace will bring restoration. But you get a hold of the grace of God, it'll keep you out of trouble. It'll, it'll prevent you from getting into the, into, into the bind in the first place. But I want you to notice that uh, he wants to show the exceeding. Everyone say exceeding. 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 Something that exceeds. It's far more than you expect it. Something that exceeds, it exceeds your expectation. It's far more than what was owed to you or far more than you expected. It, 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 it blew your mind. And it just, you know, today they say it was just crazy. You know, it's crazy grace. You know, his grace, his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, again, we had opened the series with this particular parable, but it's, it's the parable illustrating the grace of God. It's known as the parable of the, the, the rich landowner. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 20, I want to go back to it just for a moment in Matthew 20 and take a look at this because I believe that to really grow in the grace of God, to really begin to experience the transforming power of grace of God, the exceeding grace of God in our lives, it's important that we have a proper perspective of our God, that he is a gracious God. He is a gracious God. In Romans chapter 12 and verse two is where we're told to not be conformed to, the, to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So when this, we have to come up with a new way of thinking. When I say come up with, I'm not saying make it up ourselves, but we have to, we have to develop a new way of thinking, and that new way of thinking is to be thinking along the lines of the authority of scripture. And so are we willing to uh, really take some time and think about what is it I believe to be true about God? 
What is my perspective of God? When I think about God, what do I think? And what you are thinking or what you are believing. Do you believe that God is gracious and generous, that he wants to demonstrate his exceeding abundant grace in and through your life? And when you stop and think about what it is that you believe, I want to encourage you to be honest with what you're thinking and what you're believing about God concerning your life, concerning eternity, concerning your life here, his goodness toward you. Does he really want me to enjoy life? Has he really, as is stated in Timothy, has he really given us richly all things to enjoy? Is that really true? Does he really, did he really pay the price at Calvary's cross to cleanse me of all my sin? And by his stripes, was I really healed? Is that really for me today? Can I really anticipate and expect God to be favorable towards me concerning my health? Does God really take pleasure in my prosperity as the psalmist declares that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants? I'm a servant of God, so does he really like it when I prosper or should I feel guilty for having all my needs met and someone else may not have all theirs met? What is it that, what is it that we're believing? And then when you answer honestly what it is that you believe, I want to encourage you to trace it back to its origin. Is what you're believing, has that come, has that been established on the authority of God's word? Is it truth or is it tradition? Because we can grow up with tradition and believing that tradition that's been instilled within us is truth because that's all we've ever known. And many times we're holding on to a tradition even religious tradition that may not necessarily be truth. And when you discover that your tradition, what, what well, I just think, or I just believe, you know, when you have these, when you have these types of uh, communications with people and, and they say, well, I think, well, that's fine. You have a right to think, but make sure that your thinking is in line with the word of God. Don't be so dogmatic about what you're thinking and what you're believing that you refuse to be transformed into the likeness of Christ when you come across Scripture that teach otherwise. You can't just, you know, it's wrong to look at Scripture and and to read the, the Scripture and just say, well, yeah, I see that. I see that, yes, I see that there. Yes, I see it in two or three places. Out of the mouth are two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. I see that. Yep, I see it there as well. Yep, it certainly certainly is continuity all through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. I see that, Pastor Ray. But I just believe or I just think. (laughs) (laughs) You need grace. We need grace. So, but... To even come to a place where you can receive that grace and to change those very 
rooted and grounded traditions that are contrary to scripture. You need grace to root that out and you need grace to eradicate all those false beliefs and just really make up your mind that, yes, this is what I believe. This is what I've been thinking. This is what I make. My, my decisions are made on a daily basis based on, on, on this thought process, on, on this belief. But now I see that it's wrong and God give me grace to change it. There's a couple roadblocks that keep us from making those transformations as God would want them to be. The first roadblock is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. The self-righteous person, whether Christian or a non-Christian, is the person that is saying that I'm basically I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. I've been good to people. I haven't done anything wrong. I am confident. I am a confident person, and I've been a good God, and, and I'm sure that I'm confident that God is pleased with me. Well, the truth is self-righteousness is not pleasing to God. Confidence in yourself, confidence in yourself is rejecting grace, and to reject grace is to reject him by whom came grace and truth. You know, some people are so confident in themselves, just saying, well, I don't need Jesus. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm basically a good person. I've been kind, I pay my taxes, I put 10 bucks in the offering at church when I go every Easter and every Christmas. I'm basically, you know, I'm a good person. Well, you may be a good moral person, but we're not talking about good moral people based on society. We're talking about have you put your trust and your confidence in Jesus as Lord and Savior? The essential element of living under the law is to have confidence in the flesh. So to have confidence in the flesh and to live as a sinner are basically one and the same. They are both under the law. Because the scriptures teach us in Romans chapter 14 and verse 6 that we are no longer under law, but we are, no, but we are now under grace. And so we need to recognize that, okay, I, I need to make sure that I'm not governing my life. I'm not going through life with an attitude of self-righteousness because that is a roadblock to the grace of God. To overcome self-righteousness, you want to be yielding to Christ. You want to say, yes, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth has come through Jesus Christ. I'm accepting the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ, of the personhood of Jesus Christ, who he is and who he represents and what he has done for me through Calvary's cross. Then you have the polar opposite of self-righteousness, which is a block to transforming grace. The, the, the polar opposite of that would be a sense of powerlessness. Or, you know, I'm just stuck with who I am. I can't change. I've tried to change. I, I, I read self-help books. I, I, I try to change my diet. I try to do healthy things. I try to make right financial choices. I, I try to make good relationship decisions, but uh, I'm just powerless. Nothing ever works out for me. That, you know, some people adopt that sense of powerlessness. It's that it's just, I'm just stuck. This is who I am. But the good news is you don't need to be stuck. It's not just who you are. The grace of God, we looked at Paul, the Apostle Paul last week. He said he was chief among sinners, but by the grace of God, he is what he is. You know, he was saying, I, I, I was chief among sinners, and I was not worthy to be called an apostle, 
I was the least among the apostles, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Notice he wasn't saying I'm, the, I'm this bad person, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and, and he's still being a bad person. He's saying by the grace of God, I've been transformed from being a chief among sinners to being a primary apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's tremendous transformation taking place in the apostle Paul's life. Transformation can take place in your life as well. The Apostle Paul described, if you didn't hear last week, hear last week's message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But the Apostle Paul goes into some depth about his personality, how he, he was an arrogant, violent man, angry person, but he was transformed. So there's all types of uh, habit patterns that can be transformed. Martha was transformed from uh, being a grumbling server to being a joyful server. And so there's transformation for every, every area of our lives. So self-righteousness is, is a roadblock to transforming grace. A sense of powerlessness is, is, a, is a roadblock. And then you have other people also, just the third roadblock would just be a sense of similar to number two. It's just a, an unworthy attitude a religious attitude, and you find this a lot among Christians. Yes, they've received the saving grace of God, but they still have this deep sense of and belief and tradition of unworthy. I'm not worthy. And we talk about the goodness of God and the graciousness of God, the generosity of God. They, they fall back into that, well, I'm not worthy. Just not quite sure that God is that good, that God is that pleased with me, that God would want to bless me to such an extent, that God would want to honor me, and, and therefore I am unworthy, so I'm going to keep striving, I'm going to keep working, I'm going to come to a place where eventually I'll be worthy. I remember when I got uh, born again, received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I knew nothing about the subsequent prayer and, and, and infilling baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't really know anything about it. I was just happy to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior that when I'm listening to my transistor radio through my pillow and by chance I would die that night, I'd still go to heaven. That's my, my main goal was I wanted my security that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. And then after I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I, I began hearing and, and reading in, in the scripture and, and hearing the message being taught on the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but I was convinced in my mind that when I get my act together, when I get my act together, I'll receive the Holy Spirit. But I can't do that until I straighten out some things in my life, some habit patterns or some thoughts or whatever. I, mean, I had this unworthy idea of I'm not worthy to receive the Holy Spirit. And again, don't don't go deep. You say, what, was, what did he have to clean up? Compared to what you had to clean up, I didn't have any. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, growing up in a very, very strict, conservative Mennonite tradition. And so I had a lot of things that really were no big deals. I just thought they were big deals. That I needed to straighten these things out in order to be a candidate to receive the Holy Spirit. But one day, the Holy Spirit got through to me and said, you know what? Without me, you're never going to clean up your act. You're never going to experience transformation. And so don't allow an attitude of unworthiness to become a roadblock in receiving transformation. So having said those three, whether it be righteousness, powerlessness, or unworthiness, they, they all can be tremendous roadblocks to the transforming grace of God. But I think probably first and foremost is to, is to really spend some time in getting to know who God is. Is God really a loving God? Is he really a generous, gracious father? 
And you can do that by reading the Gospels. Because Jesus came, and Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus came as an exact representation of God the Father. So when you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, is a gospel where the grace is on display more so than the other Gospels. Not that grace is not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it's uh, the Gospel of John. And grace is on display. But when you read the Gospels, you'll, you'll see that Jesus came as an exact representation of the Father. So when you read the life of Jesus and you, and you study the life of Jesus, it gives you a clear picture of your Heavenly Father. And Jesus taught parables to show what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so we need to recognize that, that uh, it's important for us to continue to pursue the, the teachings of Jesus and the parables of Jesus. And Matthew chapter 20 is one of those where it's the parable of the, uh, of, of the, 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 the landowner, the generous landowner, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, whatever you want to call it. But in that particular parable is when the, the landowner went out in the morning and, and hired the laborers, and they went out in the fields and started working. And then at the, ninth, uh, at the third hour, he went back out and found some more laborers. The sixth hour, he went out and hired some more people. The ninth hour, he went out and hired some, found some more people looking for work. And then the 11th hour, he went out, and he found some more people standing around, and he hired them and sent them into the field to work. And since it was the 11th hour, they only had one more hour of work to do. They worked their 12-hour day. They only had one more hour. So at the end of that 12 hours, they all came in and to receive their pay. And, and, and the, the paymaster started with the 11th-hour worker and gave them each a denarius. And that's what the 12-hour workers were agreed upon, that you work for 12 hours, you'll receive a denarius at the end of the day. And so... The 12-hour workers noticed that the 11th hour, that the people that only came in at the 11th hour received the denarius. Immediately they're thinking, we worked more than they did, so we deserve more than them. And they started grumbling to the paymaster that we deserve more than the 11th hour workers. And that's what this parable is about. Jesus is giving this particular parable, and he's doing so to show that he is a generous God. Because in verse 1 it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Luke chapter 20 and verse 1 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And so he's using this landowner illustration to show you what the kingdom of heaven is like. And keep in mind now, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about labor relations. So all of you HR folks in here today, just take a chill pill. <laughs> you know, we're not trying to make things difficult for you. But Jesus is, teaching the, Jesus is not teaching the principles of labor relations. What he's doing here is he's teaching the principles of graciousness, of grace, of generosity. The kingdom of heaven is like, and, and the operative principle in this particular parable is, is uh, it's not merit. It's not how much you worked, how much you strived for, but it's based on the grace of God. And it's to show that God's grace is sufficient for all of us and it's readily available for all of us. Just think about this parable for a moment. We look about the, the 11th hour workers. We think, well, that's not fair because the 12 hour workers, they worked 12 hours and they got their pay. The 11th hour workers worked one hour and they got their pay, but think about it in terms of the kingdom of heaven. Think about it in, in, in light of the history of the church, the first century laborers, the first century disciples, the first century apostles. And now all these years later, we come in at the close 
of the dispensation of the grace of God and we put our one hour in and we get the same as they got. Makes us, puts it in perspective, does it not? It puts it in perspective. So it's an eternal principle. It's a grace principle. It's always remembered as a grace principle. And so at the end of the parable, Jesus is making this statement. In verse, let's begin at verse 13. He said, he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm, I am doing you no wrong. You, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things, or is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? Now, the NIV translates... Like this, in verse 15, Jesus is saying, Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now forget about all the equality stuff. Forget about all the labor relationship stuff. Jesus is showing here that who he is and who the Father is. He's the landowner. He has a right to do what he wants. He's God. And he's saying, I am God. I have a right to do what I want. Don't become envious because I can do what I want. I just want I'm, I'm showing you here that don't become envious because I am what? Good. New King James, NIV. Generous. Is that your perspective of God? Do you believe that God is good to you? Do you believe that he is generous toward you? Or do you think that he's holding back on, on your answer to your prayer, holding back on whatever it is that you're th thinking on because he's not being fair? But God's inexpressible generosity does not stop when he's saving us. It provides all through life for all of our need and blessings throughout our entire life. He's saying, I am generous. And this particular parable, to make it even more interesting, this parable was birthed out of Jesus' encounter just prior to that with the rich young man whom Jesus told to sell all his possessions and give to the poor and follow him. He said, sell everything you have and give to the poor and following and follow me. Peter, our friend Peter, he heard Jesus say this, and he's reflecting on, on, all that, uh, on all this, and he presents to Jesus, he says, Jesus, Jesus, this is in chapter 19, he says, we left everything to follow you. We left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And what attitude do you see in that? We left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Do you see a merit mentality, a works mentality? This is what we've done. What is our reward? Is that your concept of God? Is that your approach to God? I've served you all these years. I've been faithful. I used to work in the nursery. For years I worked in the nursery. And I served in children's ministry. And I even went on missions trips. And I served in youth ministry. And I I'd served this way and that way, and all these years I've been walking with you. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Jesus didn't rebuke Peter for asking the question. 
There's nothing wrong with asking Jesus questions. He's not afraid. He didn't rebuke him for his merit mentality. Rather, he assured him that he and everyone else following him who has left houses, families, you've left things to follow Jesus. He promised each would receive a hundredfold return in this lifetime. Do the math. A hundredfold return. My financial advisor and investor is happy to report to us, to Nancy and I, when we have a 10% growth in any calendar year. Matter of fact, he's happy with seven, eight, 10. And I'm pretty happy with that as well. But a 10,000% reward? See, well, why would Jesus say such an astonishing amount? Why would he use such an amount? What did Jesus come to do? He came to represent who? God the Father. He's not teaching economics here. He's not teaching labor relations. He said, but you will be rewarded 10,000%. He's telling us that in the kingdom of heaven, God's reward system is always based on his grace, and grace always gives generously far more than what you or I can earn. That's our God. Over and over again, the Bible is filled with stories and, 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 and about God's graciousness, about his generosity, and his blessing people freely without regard to their demerits, rather than because of their merits. He's a good God. In Jeremiah, there's a verse in there that talks about, it's, it's, a, it's a, talking about a verse where God says that uh, he's just going to bless his people. He's, he, he's promising to be generous to his people. And that uh, out of singleness of heart for, for, their, for their own good, he said he will not turn away from doing them good. He will not turn away from doing them good. That sounds fair and equitable for people that are committed to following after God, but he's making this promise in Jeremiah to a people that are in Babylonian captivity. The reason they're in Babylonian captivity is for their continual year after year after year of rebelling against him. So here they are in Babylonian captivity, and now he's coming to a place where he's saying, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to do you good. I'm going to do you good. You, didn't, you don't deserve this goodness, but I'm going to do you good. There's another one you may be more familiar with. It's found in the book of Joel. You know, Joel, they, the people had been under persecution. They had been under judgment. And the uh, locusts came in and wiped out all their crops. And repentance is taking place. And the promise of God is coming to them in, 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 in the book of Joel, chapter 2, and verse 25. And the verse reads like it. it says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. But notice it says, I will repay for you the years the locusts have eaten. God didn't just come back to them. The prophet didn't just come back to the people and said, okay, I see now that there's repentance. Judgment has been dealt with. Now it's time of repentance. Now your land will begin to produce. You go ahead and sow your seeds. Your crops will produce. The locusts will no longer wipe out your harvest. You're forgiven. Let's go forward. And that would have been considered to be kind and equitable. Don't you agree? 
Okay, you blew it all these years, all these seven years that you've been rebelling against me. These past seven years, you've lost all your crops because of locusts. But I'm going to bring a stop to that. I'm going to stop the enemy. I'm going to stop this judgment. And from now on, you're going to prosper. That would have been fair and equitable. You lost that because of your own sin. You reap what you sowed. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> but he didn't say that. He said, I will restore to you the years the locusts have stolen. God's generosity. God is gracious. I will restore 100 fold. You come and follow me. It's all pictures of the dispensation that we're living in today. And the God that we're serving is generous exceedingly. His grace is exceedingly beyond what we can even grasp or comprehend. And that's what the Father wants us to know. If we're going to be, experience the transforming grace of God, know that God has you covered. And you, you may be in here today thinking, man, I've blown so many years of, 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 uh, due to bad behavior or bad financial choices or bad relationship issues. And I've, man, I just grieve all the time that I lost or, or whatever it may be. Grace, the exceeding abundant grace of God can restore that to you. Well, it's lost time. We can't make up lost time. Well, grace is not bound by time. He'll make it up to you. The grace of God, exceeding abundant grace of God, the hundredfold return. You leave it all to follow me. Leave your traditional thinking that's contrary to the word of God. Leave it behind and say, God, I surrender. I thought I, I, I was confident. I thought, man, I, I, I dotted all my I's. I crossed all my T's for all these years, and I've been serving you. I've mean, been doing things right, and I am self-confident. You know, and boy, I, I really got it together. Well, thank God you are a good moral person, but you still need the grace of God. Or the other extreme is, is, I'm not worthy at all. There's no such thing as not being worthy. You're created in the image and the likeness of God. You're a creation of Almighty God. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And through Jesus came into this world grace and truth. And the truth is, you are valuable to God. He loves you, and Jesus died at the cross for you. And so no matter where you are in that spectrum, know that grace is more than sufficient. Generosity restores time loss, years loss, whatever it is that you lost. God is good. God is generous. And he wants to fix it for you. Broken heart, he came to fix it. But if it's been broken for many years, he'll fix it. He'll fix it. I squandered a lot of time. God will make it up to you. He'll make it up to you. He loves you. Amen? And I just, I know I'm going over, but I know that your grace is towards me. It's generous. So how many people will give me a minute? Okay, one, two. Man, I got a whole hour to go here. 60. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every individual represented here today. I thank you, Lord God, that we come to a place where you, opening, you are opening the eyes of our understanding. We are seeing your goodness, your generosity, your amazing grace. Father, just peel back 
any scales on our eyes, any hardness of heart that hinders us from simply yielding to the grace of Almighty God. And let us come to your throne to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in this time of need, right now, right now. And Lord, the transforming power of your grace readily available for each one of us, whether you're dealing with uh, works of the flesh, anger, lust, any works of the flesh that are listed in Galatians 5 just and throughout the scripture, know that grace is sufficient to have you overcome that and to begin living out and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the gentleness, and so forth. Thank you, Lord, that in Jesus' name, transforming grace is readily available. It's exceedingly abundant toward us in Jesus' name. It's exceedingly abundant, abundantly available to everyone in the sound of my voice and that we are continually being transformed in Jesus' name, name above every name. Thank you, Lord.